ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What LORT allowed their member theaters to do, which includes a few Broadway theaters, is during the COVID crisis, as if it's over, but during, during the, the worst of it, as a way to kind of stop the hemorrhaging of money and still serve your audience, they allowed you for any unsold seat to a given performance, you could sell one streaming ticket. So for instance, Clyde's on Broadway, if they had 85 unsold seats on a random Wednesday evening performance, they could only allow 85 people to buy a ticket to stream it online. Now that's not a technology limitation, obviously, you could stream it to the whole world if you wanted to, but the union kind of put that in place and said, look, we're gonna help you make up the difference in revenue of no shows and people who are not comfortable going to the theater, but you cannot go beyond the number of unsold seats in the theater. Well, hi, everybody. Happy Friday, everyone. Happy May 27th, 107th consecutive week that we've been doing our community gatherings. This is Bob Ost, Theater Resources Unlimited. Some of you may have heard this before. Some of you who are new to True, who have just found us. On March 15th, 2020, I tore my hair out in despair. Luckily, it grew back. And I didn't know what I was going to do because we were all in something called shutdown. Shutdown? What is shutdown? None of us knew what shutdown was. Does it really mean we can't leave our apartments? And it really meant that. We were faced with having to deal with this, a whole new world. Probably one of the greatest social changes that any of us have ever gone through in our lifetimes. And after thinking about, oh my goodness, I have to close my company, I thought, well, I've heard the rumors that there's something called Zoom. Actually, I didn't hear rumors at all. I had people grabbing me by the neck and saying, go to Zoom, do this on Zoom. A couple of people held my hand and told me what to do and how to do it. And so I opened up a Zoom room so that people could come in and be together and create a community in a period of isolation. So we've been doing this now for <laughs> 107 weeks. And a couple of things that we learned during this whole shutdown that we've been through. Zoom and virtual and live streaming allows us to reach out to audiences that are way beyond our local area. So suddenly True is actually welcoming people from all over the country and all over the world into our weekly room. And I, I love that and I, I'm not going to stop it. And so even though we're kind of tiptoeing out of shutdown now, I'm gonna keep doing this. I'm gonna keep doing this every Friday, community gatherings on Zoom, virtual, so people from all over the world can get together and, and form a community. It's a great gift. There was a lot of inconvenience, but there were also gifts that, that we found over the past two years and two months now, three months. So we've talked about various things having to do with the, the pandemic, and we've learned a lot about live streaming and Zoom. Things that were unfamiliar to so many of us before suddenly became part of our vocabulary by, by necessity. It was either that or spend time alone. Now we're reopening. Theater is resurging. Broadway is rebounding. 
there are a good number of shows that are more than doing well. They're doing very, very well. I mean, Music Man, $3 million a week in, in grosses, in, in gross revenues. And there's some that are having a harder time of it as well. But we're not through this pandemic yet. <laughs> I'll tell you that firsthand because I'm on day, day 11 of COVID right now. And half dozen people in the room with us right now all are going through COVID. We loosened the mask mandates, we loosened the COVID restrictions, and what happens? A lot of us get sick. So we're looking at ways to hold on to what we've learned over the past couple of years with live streaming. Zoom is, is Zoom is like tish, it's like Kleenex. It's not Zoom. It's it's virtual virtual presentations using virtual the virtual world in, in, in creative ways. And what we keep hearing about are the possibilities of hybrid forms. We're talking now, and we have been for the past two years, about using live streaming as a, as a supplement to our live performance revenues. And it's not as simple as all that. And we're going to talk a little bit about this with Gio, Jeremy, and Cody today about just what can be done and what can't be done. I'm going to introduce you to my guests, Gio Masali from Broadway HD, Cody Lassen, who's a, a commercial producer, and Jeremy Handelman, who's a commercial producer who also happens to have a video and live streaming business. So hopefully among the four of us, we'll be able to come up with some ideas about what is viable and what is not. I'm going to actually start with Geo because Broadway HD is a live streaming entity. It's all about live streaming. Gio, have you ever actually been involved in, in live performance as well? Oh, uh, live performances. Before I, I moved to Los Angeles, I, I did work on in theater as a stage manager. So I do have experience in the live theater world, yeah. Tell us a little bit about the about Broadway HD. I know that my friends Stuart Lane and, and Bonnie, Bonnie Comley were the ones who had this brainchild. How many years ago was that? It started in, it, it was around 2015. But I always consider 2016 when we live streamed She Loves Me as when we started in the world. It was November of 2015 is when the company was established. Now, just for clarity's sake, I think that you're involved, and Broadway HD is involved more exclusively with the live streaming version of the theater presentations. Have you ever, have you ever worked in combination with live performances? No, um, Broadway HD currently, we, we just stream the live theater performances. We haven't gone into the venture of producing and live streaming our own productions. And in spite of the fact that you don't do this in conjunction with any live performances, it does provide a revenue stream for producers, doesn't it? Can you t talk a little bit about how, how it works? Sure. You know, it, th there are two models that are currently out there. I think through the, like you mentioned, during the pandemic, a lot of things were created. There is a model where I believe Second Stage did it where they live stream each performance out to, you know, out to the beautiful world out there. And where we come in is either we go in and film an actual performance and live stream that performance, or later down in the distribution model, we would take on the subscription VOD rights. So how that's how the, we are in conjunction with them. How does the revenue from having a piece live stream through you, how does that relate to a production budget? Is it, is it a separate budget? Is it part of it? Do, it do is, investors it, it, participate? It, it On our end, it is a separate budget, but we have been working with some producers that are including it 
um, part of their budget when they go out and raise the capital. So it is an ever evolving, it's, it's ever evolving. That's that's actually very good to hear because I was I was hoping there would be some purpose in this discussion uh, when, I, when I threw it out there. So apparently, this is something that has happened as a result of of shutdown. Have producers been thinking more in terms of the possibilities of live streaming and that being part of their the revenue stream since COVID, or or was it happening even before COVID? You know, I think before COVID, I think there were conversations, you know, we were having conversations with lots of producers. And I think there are uh, some producers that were thinking on that level. And I think that at since COVID and, you know, those conversations are starting to move forward. But um, I, I think Cody can actually add on to that. Uh, Cody, please, please add on. And also Jeremy. I'm sure Jer Jeremy, I know Jeremy was one of the first persons so I, people I was aware of who was actually doing live streaming and generating product through live streaming. Am I misremembering, mis Jeremy? Well, in a, yeah, in a somewhat different context. I mean, early in the lockdown, uh, I pivoted to live stream production and it was really doing it on the behalf of a variety of clients. Some of them were theater, some of them were other not-for-profit organizations in and out of theater. Other ones were unrelated to any of that, but you know, like in lieu of doing an annual gala, uh, we would do a live stream events, partially with pre-recorded material, partially with others. And then also, in fact, Nico, I think, is, is with us today. We did a live stream of one of our musicals. I did that for a couple of shows. So, yeah, I mean, I was fairly, you know, not as early as Broadway HD, which, as you already pointed out, you know, predates COVID and has been around for a while now. But as far as uh, a pivot during COVID, yeah, I was probably one of the first, one of the early ones on that. And Cody, what, what, what is it that you intuit Gio wanted you to add to what he was saying? I now don't remember. I would like to say from a producer's perspective, I would describe it as a revenue trickle and not a revenue stream. We're, we're getting there. We're figuring it out. But no, Gio and I did Indecent together back in 2017. And ever since then, I have filmed literally every single production I've done. So I'm one of the producers who puts it in the budget, plan for it, you do it. There's been one or two shows I've filmed that have never gotten distribution for various reasons, but my, my MO now is just to plan on doing it and then, then figure out how to use it after you have it. So it's, it's a trickle. Okay. So what do you see as a possibility for it to becoming a, a, a more lucrative source of income? What, what, what would need I, to happen? I mean, on the projects that Gio and I have worked and might work out in the future together, you know, in the, in the world I play in, I'm, I'm a signatory to 18 collective bargaining agreements with various unions and guilds. And I love my union brothers and sisters, but the, the upfront cost involved in filming a piece of theater is so prohibitive that most producers don't do it. Because those are fees that you have to pay before you've sold it, before you've monetized it. You've got to have that money in the bank before you can literally even put the cameras in the house. Can you be more specific about some of those costs so that people get uh, a, a yeah, real so, idea? You know, the, anyone who's a, a part of a, a labor union gets an added fee whenever cameras are in the house. So for instance, if you have a show and you want to have you know, B-roll film, that, that's all pre-negotiated in these agreements. And if you use that footage in a commercial setting or you bring in cameras specifically for that, there's kind of pre-negotiated fees that everyone from the designers, to the actor, to the director, to the authors, that, that they get, that kind of triggers those fees. 
Jeremy, have you worked in a different way or in the same way? What has your experience been? Well, it's kind of different. I mean, I, I've been more on the facilitating side as opposed to taking, you know, taking a production that I'm developing and creating a live stream element for it. That being said, I do intend to go down that road. The immersive project that I alluded to, we intend to do as both an in-person event and also a virtual event, which would involve an in-person cast and crew, but not an in-person audience for X number of performances per week, or if because of COVID possibly, you know, even more performances per week. So, and that would be a non-union situation, which does, uh, as Cody points out, that would certainly make it a lot more financially viable to be able to do it that way. Do you guys actually remember any of the agreements that were created in the past two years? I know that there were a couple of shows that managed to come up with a model, whether it became a model that was usable afterwards or not, I'm not sure, a model through which they were able to sell tickets for a streaming version of, of their play that they were doing live. Yeah, that I believe that either just expired or is about to expire. So that was a concession that Lort made. And we had a Broadway, Gio, what you mentioned it earlier, I forgot what show, it was a second stage show that did this. Right, it was, it, it's up for, I can't think of it right now. Yeah, I saw it, Clyde's. Oh, Clyde's, Clyde's. Yeah, so basically what, what Lort allowed their member theaters to do, which includes a few Broadway theaters is, during the COVID crisis, as if it's over, but during during the, the worst of it, as a way to kind of stop the hemorrhaging of money and still serve your audience, they allowed you for any unsold seat to a given performance, you could sell one streaming ticket. So for instance, clients on Broadway, if they had 85 unsold seats on a random Wednesday evening performance, they could only allow 85 people to buy a ticket to stream it online. Now, that's not a technology limitation, obviously. You could stream it to the whole world if you wanted to. But the union kind of put that in place and said, look, we're going to help you make up the difference in revenue of no shows and people who are not comfortable going to the theater, but you cannot go beyond the number of unsold seats in the theater. How did they know? <laughs> well, I mean, we have to report our box office to the unions because so many payments are, are based on that. So they, they have a good insight into what, what's being sold on a given day. Okay. Yeah, and I, I will say, I mean, I know that they actually did quite well with Clyde's with the with the live stream. And I think they sold most of those unsold seats. So that's Clyde's. the good news. The bad news is that the, is that contract is no longer going to be usable. Yeah. Do you know if are, are they negotiating a variation of it? I, I I hate to go get into this whole into the union thing, but are now now that we're coming we're coming back live, equity is having more more say. It's going it needs to have more say, I guess in the contracts. Is equity at all, to the best of anyone's knowledge, looking into some sort of hybrid contract that would be usable? The, the, the challenge with equity, equity or the equity members is that if they are filmed in front of a camera, they have to go on a SAG after contract, which is the television and film unions. So, so I think I would hope that I would hope in time there would be some form of more conversations happening. But from where I see on the Broadway HD side, the conversations have not changed. There's not been a merger of the two. I'm afraid what's going to happen is what happened to the recording industry in the 90s is they ignored streaming. They didn't understand it. They had all these rigid restrictions around it. And other people figured that out. And now artists don't get paid because streaming pays, you know, a fraction of a penny per stream. And I think we're in the last moments of us being able to figure this out on our own. 
or other people not in our industry are going to figure it out and they're going to monetize it and we're we're going to be left out to the to the extent of you know a big broadway musical like spongebob squarepants it was more cost effective for them to fly the sets in the cast to the united kingdom kingdom film it over there and then ship everyone back than it was to just put some cameras in the broadway theater where it was nights a week anyways so that's what they did okay yeah yeah well, that's a good that's a good specific example it, jeremy and and cody since you're both producers what do you think you could propose to sag aftra or equity that might be considered what what would you see as a possible compromise that would allow the streaming component to continue and to actually be more than a trickle I think what I can propose and what would be accepted are very <laughs> different things. But we, my, can, we, can, we can go to both places. Yeah, I mean, whenever I'm negotiating a deal, I always have so much more flexibility on the back end. So I think if there could be some very small upfront fees to bring cameras in, but then a very generous split on the back end. So when these things make money and they're, they're going to make money, we're going to figure this out and be able to make not just a trickle, but meaningful revenue there, then we're sharing that on the back end quite generously with everyone who was involved in it. But as a producer, what's tough is to pay all those fees up front before I even know if the thing's going to make money. Jeremy, you come to this again from two different, from, from both sides of the perspective. You come to it as a, as a producer because you've, you've, you've been a producer of live, of live theater, but you also are somebody that, that actually creates the live stream product. Do you see any possible negotiation or compromise or how would you how would you like how would you like it to, yeah, to i mean i mean to be honest i was about to say uh, pretty much the same thing cody just said which is you know you know where you get killed is you know is on the front end i mean as it is it's already a gamble with the theater production that you're going to make your money on your theater production but of course you have to pay all those people up front in order to get the show off it, essentially to do that again in order to have it for you know you know two times the same product have to swallow that type of upfront cost, particularly when the revenue stream, as Cody said, is still a trickle. It's just a very hard, hard pill to swallow. And you know, most producers I know are just not willing to go go down the road that way. I'm with Cody in thinking that this is going to be figured out. This is going to end up being significant, probably more so for certain shows than for other ones. But yeah, I, you know, I think it's basically comes down to getting people to accept that, hey, we're not, you know, we, the producers and our investors aren't going to make money on this until it's profitable to do it. So we'll share in that, you know, profitability in some fashion with, with you know, with the other vested interests. But to be able to put that kind of money in up front, it's pretty much a non-starter. Well, okay. So I think that, that we, 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 underst we understand that we don't quite know what we're going to do yet. We understand that, that we would all love to be able to include streaming as part of our uh, of the revenue on any commercial production. Let oh, Cody, let me because you said you include that in your budgets now. T tell us tell us what what that looks like in terms of your your budgets. What um, percent what percentage of a whole budget does that wind up being? I mean that math that depends. You know, on, on a on a on a small Broadway musical, that's probably a million dollars to do a right. Gio, what do you think? I would say a million. Yeah, it, it, know, depends. It, it depends. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if you sky's the limit, but to do like a, a decent job on a, a fairly simple play, you're looking at about a million dollars on Broadway. Off Broadway could certainly be a lot less than that, as low as maybe like $50,000. Did you include something for streaming in your Regina Comet budget? 
We did, yes. Tell, tell us about a, that. So there's a good example of, you know, the, the stream itself, the goal is to make that film pay for itself. So it didn't cost us anything. It's not going to deliver cold, hard cash to our investors, but that will, I think, make the project more valuable in licensing to the point that our licensing agency on that show, very specifically in our agreement, they, they want to see a cast album and a filmed version of it. And our, our terms get slightly more favor, favorable if we do those things. Because regional theaters, you know, if they can listen to it, a cast album or they can you know, go to their Broadway HD subscription and watch the production, as much as this make, might make us cringe as artists, I think oftentimes what happens is they tell their local director and design team, do that. We, we want that. That worked in New York. Or, you know, you can build a fan base of people who, who stream it and who see it. And then if it plays in their local community theater, might be more predisposed to go see it. So let's turn to the audience point of view now, because we're, we're limited in our conjecture about what we can, what we can do in terms of produce, being a producer and including that. But from the audience point of view, you always hear for two and a half, two years and two months, I keep hearing about Zoom fatigue, Zoom fatigue, Zoom fatigue. People that are resistant to what they don't want, they... We hear that people don't want to watch things on Zoom, that they want to they want to go back to live theater. Gio, can you identify any shifts that have happened with Broadway HD audiences and subscription? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't we, we at Broadway HD we have not seen streaming fatigue. We still have people that do want to see, you know, that want to stream the shows on our our platform. What what we're hearing a lot is, oh, I streamed it on Broadway HD and and now I'm going to go see it on Broadway or I'm going to see it on my lo- in my local theater. So it, it kind of falls on like what Cody was saying is it, 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 there is a, obviously there's a revenue for there was there's a stream for revenue, but it also is a kind of, of a marketing tool that lets people still go and see it live or streamed. So we have not yet seen the streaming fatigue. Obviously, the pandemic brought more eyes to Broadway HD, but we're, you know, we have not have a sh- had a shift. Well, that's to good to hear. Those, to me, those are two different things. For me, Zoom fatigue is, you know, terrible production values, and that's limitations of, of the technology too. But also I'm generally, when I'm watching a Zoom reading, I'm doing it like I am now. You can't see this, but my computer is, you know, 18 inches in front of my face. And I think the strain in your eyes is different than when I'm logging into Broadway HD. I don't know if I'm the only one, Gio, but I'm usually doing that on my TV, sitting on my comfortable sofa. The TV's 10 feet from me. So it's just a different viewing experience. It's not as fatiguing, I think. Yes. And so what... what and the bigger the TV, the more in the theater you feel. Yeah, <laughs> of course. So from your point of view, are you, are you saying that if you were to, if you were, if you want to incorporate a streaming part portion to your live production, Obviously, you're saying it's not it's not really Zoom fatigue at all. Okay, so I, I use the, the, the word Zoom sure. fatigue because it's just bandied about all the time. So it's it's not it's not really an inhibiting factor for for audiences because they're watching it in the comfort of their of their living rooms on their big screen TVs. So, yeah, and I I don't think you know there. I think if you talk to some old school producers, there's still a concern that oh, this is going to cannibalize live ticket sales, which. I say bullshit to every time, pardon, pardon the French, for, for two reasons. The first is, okay, great, that's your worry. Film it, sit on it, and release it after the show closes on Broadway or, or wherever it's playing. Then you don't have that issue at all. 
The second is we actually have a really good data set, not from our industry, but from an adjacent industry, which is that the Met Opera saw both their subscribe, subscriber base and single ticket sales increase when they started doing the live streams from the Met. So again, not, not quite the same as our world, but there they have cold, hard data and now many years of it that they can prove that they sell more in-person tickets by doing streams. And also I think, will there be a tiny percentage of people who would have bought a ticket to see it in person who are now gonna just see it on a streaming service? 100%, but I, my gut tells me that there's a bigger percentage of people who will see it on the streaming service and then get more interested to see it in person or what the biggest group will probably be are people who don't have access to New York or wherever you are and never would get there. And whether that's because they're busy or we talk about accessibility, maybe you know an $18 or $12 streaming ticket is a lot more accessible to people. Still, still a barrier, I understand, but we talk about getting new people interested in theater. There's a lot of people not near a big theater or even if they are, can't afford an $80 ticket, but can't afford a 10, a 12, a $19 ticket. So to me, it's an accessibility thing. It's a marketing thing. It kind of checks all the boxes and I, I, I scream at everyone who says they don't get it or they don't think it's part of what we should be doing. Yeah, I thought it was just proved yeah. back with Legally Blonde. I remember Le Legally Blonde did that and everybody was screaming in the industry and then Legally Blonde actually did very well on the tour because people who'd seen it on TV wanted to see it live. Yeah, um, if, I could, yes. if I could interject on that just to further substantiation, uh, slight, not quite apples and apples, but not also quite apples and oranges. I worked a few decades ago in the sports television business, and you know there were a lot of sports leagues, baseball, uh, basketball among them, that were always fearful of television exposure hurting the gate. So there would be local market blackouts for a lot of sports where, you know, the, you know there'd be a national broadcast, but you couldn't show that team's game in the market because of ticket sales. And in, in reality, the complete opposite was true, which is that television served to market the product and boosts the, you know, the value of all of those sports. And, you know, it's theater's a slightly different animal, but I do think the same mechanism is at play, which is that it, you know, not only does it reach people who might not otherwise be able to watch it, as Cody points out, but even for those who are capable of seeing it in person, it can serve to actually market the show. You know, I mean, if you see something that's great online, it does, you know, it does whet your appetite to see it in person. And that's certainly the approach we're taking with this immersive project. So the challenge is still really an, an, a, a, a union challenge. It's basically to find for the unions to come up with a, a way of doing this with their, within their contracts that, that makes, that makes sense. And I, I know that I heard what you said, Cody, before it's, it's like, it's, it's going to cost you a million dollars to record it and you may you may break even on on the, on the filming of it but it's not going to necessarily contribute to the to the income the revenue the profit actually so what what would your what would your recommendation be if, if you could if you could make a recommendation to other people that are thinking about doing this i i could i could give uh i could answer that as well okay um, geo go for it I think I think the one thing I, I, I would advise if you're looking into capture it is to definitely capitalize on it, but also film a really good capture. You know, a capture for streaming is not just putting a camera in the back of the room. You know, you want to think of three cameras, you know, four cameras. You want to go in with your deals, with your actors and your set designers, letting them know that you have intentions of filming so that when it comes time to film you might decide to just film 
film a really good capture and hold on to it and then clear the rights at a future time. But it's all about doing the upfront work so that when it comes time to film, it's no surprise to anyone. You know, no one's gonna sit there and say, oh, I don't know if I wanna do this. So it's all about getting it all done before you have your first day of rehearsal. We have a, a question from Donald Loftus. Uh, he wants to know if, if, you, if a show starts in London, is it any easier or less expensive to film it over there? It's yeah. much less expensive to film it in London. I would say probably two thirds less. So the, so the model that we can look to is, 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 a, is a London model, really. It's, 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 not, it's not something that seems readily viable here in, in New York, but London probably can do this. Yeah, you could do it in London. You could do it re at a regional level. You can even do it when it's an off-Broadway. If you feel that it's going to go to Broadway, film it off-Broadway and have that capture. I, I always go back and tell the story when I directed Into the Woods at my college, I went back and looked at the La Jolla production of, I think it was La Jolla, but I, I looked at the original production and there is a capture of it out there. And I appreciated seeing where it started. I actually, as a student at the time felt, wow, this is where, you know, one of my favorite musicals, this is how it started and to compare the difference. So, you know, fi film it at an off-Broadway level and, and it still will get your, sh you know, show across. So I'm, I'm checking to see if there's other questions in the, the chat. Eric Rothman wants to know, to what extent are promotional videos or live streaming of a bit of the show or live interviews allowed by the unions? Do you know? That's in all the agreements already and it depends what agreement you're on, but there's both a, a minute limit that's around five minutes or so. And I believe you can only have one song in its entirety. And there's restrictions on, you know, it can be used on things like local news and there, there's some pretty tight guardrails around that, but that's already spelled out in all the agreements. Well, let's go back to some of the weeds we were in before, because Donald is asking, if you spend the million to get it done, how likely it is that you will recoup that investment and how is that investment recouped? You had talked about that a little bit, Jeremy. You, you had said that there was a, a model in which you were allowed to sell tickets based on how many seats that you didn't, you didn't sell in your live performance. Is that the model that you were thinking about, Cody, or are you talking about two completely separate streams of revenue, the live performance and then the live streaming, which, which has its own life? Yeah, I mean, the live streaming, that was really a concession that was a, for a very short period of time during COVID that's no longer available. So really what you're looking at is how, how does the actual film recoup itself? And that's why I always include it in the show budget, because if the film kind of stands alone, that, that's a hard thing to make work and raise money against. But if you say the, the film is part of this bigger thing that we're already raising a lot more money for, and they all kind of feed off of each other and support each other, then if the film only recoups to 70 or 80%, you know, I think the, the value you're getting in other areas more than makes up that little shortfall. Does that make sense? It, it, makes, it makes sense. It's still a gamble. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's still it a, gamble. a gamble. It, it is a gamble. But Everything is a gamble. Putting up theater is a gamble. Filming an independent film is a gamble. And filming a tentpole studio film is a gamble. So it's, it, it's how much you want to gamble. It's always a risk. And it's about working with good partners. I mean, you know, everyone wants to do this and make it a success. So even like when, you know, we did Indecent together, you know, there was a partnership there, the commercial show 
of Broadway HD, of PBS. And we all kind of said, okay, let's, let's get in a room and figure out, like, is there a way we can make this work and make it make sense? And I think most people playing in this space right now are making up the rules and we're all willing to kind of get in a room and say, how can we make this work? Let, let's talk versus, you know, putting up a show, which by now is kind of very structured and this is the way you do it. We still have the liberty of saying, let's figure it out. Is there a better way to do it? I think I just want to add one more thing to what Cody just said. I think the other thing is, is know before you film is know what your plan is. Know what your plan is. Know what the backup plan is. So for instance, you know, Broadway HD is not the only revenue stream for capture, you know, so do your investigation, see if this is something that PBS would want or PBS local, see if this is something that Trafalgar or Fathom would put into theaters, because ultimately what you want to do is you want to make as much money of your investment back. And yes, if you go into profit, then that's a success. But also, if you make some money back, that's a success because this is a new world that we're going into. So definitely know, you know, what other avenues you, you can explore. So that's a good point. And there's we can window these things the way Hollywood has done for generations, right? Do you, I'm completely making this up, and maybe this wouldn't work. But like, do you do an exclusive Fathom event for the first two weeks, and then it goes to Broadway HD for two years of exclusive streaming, and then maybe? Years down the road, you throw it on Vimeo or Amazon Prime yourself and charge a dollar ninety. Yeah, you know, there, there's multiple ways to do this. It's mul- multiple. There's multiple ways. You know, it, it also you you have to know like depending what the license fee that you're getting from the distributor is what exclusivity you can give. So it's all about a negotiation. But yeah, and you have to think if it took you seven years to get your show to Broadway, it's probably going to take you the same amount to make your money back on a capture, unless you sell it to Netflix or Disney Plus, and then, well, hell, we'll all be rich. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea oh, to me. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, Netflix isn't exactly known for paying big bucks for uh, the theater stuff these days, but oh, maybe that will change. Good good or bad to know. Yeah, but it, it, yeah, I mean, it, it is analogous, though, to the, you know, to the indie film industry. I mean, most of those films have to raise their money without knowing what their final distribution is going to be, even though they're going to be hustling to get, you know, five, 10, 15 different distribution outlets. It's, you know, it's part of the gamble, but it's also part of what you have to do. So I'm going to start going through the 23 messages that are in the chat. (laughs) Elizabeth Copeland starts, she says, I go to New York City frequently, but not often enough to see every show I'd like to see and think streaming is a wonderful product. And Patricia Porta builds on that and says, it has absolutely made it more accessible and inclusive. It reaches a much larger audience. So the, the question the question to you as producers is, is this music to your ears or is this like, oh no, my audience is, is going to wait and see things live streaming and they're not going to come to the theater? No, I don't think the data or my gut reaction bears any fruit in that thinking. Okay. Yeah, I want to, I want to add, I forgot to add this earlier, when with all the data that's out there, we've always used that with our pitch, but we did our own thing with Holiday Inn, where we test, test screened it in DC, in one of the big Broadway touring houses. And the data that we got back is that 70%, I think it was 70, 75% would still go see it. And the rest would maybe go see it, but nobody really said that they wouldn't go see it. So it, you know, the data is there. I, you know, I think, I think streaming will never replace live theater and live 
you know, it's, they're just two different worlds. No, I want to watch Beyonce's music videos, but I wanted to go see her in person too. It's not the same experience. Okay. Yeah. So question for Cody from Eric Rothman. And actually to all of, all of you, would you consider filming all or part of a show in immersive 3D XR instead of, or in addition to standard 2D? Broadway HD, that's a tough one for you because how does, how does anybody experience Broadway HD in, in 3D? It's it, 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 it's tough because of the revenue that would come in because not everyone's going to have a 3D TV or 3D glasses. It's the same thing. We explored virtual VR at one point, which could be quite expensive, but the the it's just the technology. Not everyone has the technology to do to do that. So I I, I would try to suggest to stay in the 2, 2D world. And I think what Eric's hoping is that is that the, the 3D world is going to expand eventually and become more affordable. It is a little bit sure. pricey for people. Right. But then it's, it also has to be the sh- what show, right? If like Lion King would be great, even Spider-Man, when it was, that would be a great in 3D, you know, to, to experience. But, you know, Into the Woods in 3D or you know, six and 3D, I don't think that, that, that wouldn't be as effective. So it'd have to be something that has a lot of sequences so that it really impacts the viewing. Nico Juber says at some point about eight minutes ago, <laughs> Gio, you, you bring up a good point. Is having a premium developmental capture, even pre-Off-Broadway, a good idea too? I know we're all usually cautious about what materials we put out publicly during development. So, so that's a complicated question because it involves it involves unions again. Yeah, it's it's complicated. I, again, you, I think the best advice is know how much are you willing to take a risk. In you know because it is complicated. You know, with the unions, you know, off Broadway the unions are not as as heavy and the fees are not as high. Uh, again, what makes Broadway challenging is that we're you know you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollar fees going out. So, so I, I think it has to be where are you willing to take a risk because when you start getting into the subscription world, or even if you're going to like a PBS or it, it, it has to, it, it has to be like, is it a brand that you're putting forward? It, there has to be a long haul. So just, you know, be careful, but yeah, I mean, if, and also, this is the other component that as producers you should think about is does the author want that version of the project out there always good to check in with the author yeah because ultimately you're dealing with people's underlying rights and creative rights so you need to get everyone on board i think cody that's the other thing that makes it challenging to film is you need to have everyone's permission to film it. Join Ross Sorkin is asking for other platforms that besides Broadway HD to reach a broad international audience. You actually mentioned a couple before, so some of this may have been answered, but do you, can you can you mention any others? Oh, it should just be Broadway HD. <laughs> I know, <I'll> be... <laughs> Don't ask me that question. There, there, there are others out there. Are others out there? Definitely. You know, but Broadway Broadway HD is where you should be. <laughs> <laughs> well, for different, it's for different different kinds of products. Though there's there's stream, streaming musicals, which is Tom Pullum's company. That, yeah, I mean, there's it's, there's it's, a handful out there, and there's also self distributing it. You mm-hmm. know that it's not rocket science. You're going to have to do all the work, and you're going to have to 
put the marketing dollars out there to get the word out. But like, even if you don't get a distribution deal with someone, you can put it up on a website or put it up on a Vimeo or a YouTube and try to monetize it. Isn't it Broadway, Broadway, Broadway direct and Broadway virtual? No, there, there's, there's, there's marquee television that focuses in on arts like ballets and performance arts, opera, and there's all arts, which is the PBS streaming, streaming platform. And there's a whole bunch of others that I'm not going to say. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Myra's asking about a 3D, a 3D theatrical production in a postmodern a post-lockdown world. And I'm not sure whether whether we're experts enough in 3D to talk about that VR. Um, that would be a question so. for Eric Rothman. Yeah, <laughs> send him a DM. I bet he can answer it right away. He'll, he'll answer it. Michelle Reese wants to know if you could talk briefly about Hamilton on Disney Plus, how did that logistically happen? I mean, I think that's such an outlier in the sense that Hamilton, the musical is such an outlier that we there's nothing to be learned there and there's nothing that will ever be replicated there. That That stands alone. And, you know, that was supposed to be a theatrical release and then COVID happened. So that was never intended to be a streaming product. But there's, there's actually a very good example, though, of how that was planned very early on. They filmed it. They sat on it for literally years and then released it. But somebody early on, you know, Jeffrey or someone on his team said, let's let's do this and then we'll figure out how to make it work later. Yeah. And, and it's still streaming on Disney Plus and it's still having a successful run on Broadway. Yeah. Tracy Swedlow is asking. There's there's so many questions, guys. Oh my God. Tracy Swedlow is asking whether live streaming, it's a, it's a, since it's such a different type of offering, is it does it have a different audience, and how do you reach that audience? That, that's a good question. I, I think the audience is niche. Where we're reaching is, you know, to areas of the world that, like Cody said earlier, that are not will never come to Broadway. When we live streamed, she loves me. We got emails from people in Nigeria saying, oh my God, I just watched She Loves Me. I will never come to New York. And this is as close as I can get to watching theater. And thank you. Thank you so much. So it's the, the, it is a niche audience. We're trying to break that barrier to go beyond the, the niche audience. But yes, there, there's definitely an audience out there. You know, there are a lot of people that just I know, I know people, I think in the past year, I think maybe it's because it's coming back, coming back from the pandemic, the more and more people I speak in the street have said, oh yeah, I subscribe to Broadway HD. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's amazing. So yeah, there is an audience. Jeremy, George Furman, the theater we're using comes with three cameras, but we need to hire someone to produce the live streaming. Is this something any of you do? The only one that would do that, I think is you, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, non-equity, I mean, non-equity, non-equity production. Yeah, we've been, you know, yeah. I mean, I've been doing a bunch of those. So there, there are people that do that, George. You just have to find them. So J- Jeremy would be a good resource for you. Gregory. I want to add something to that also is if you are going to film your show, invest in bringing in a TV lighting director to adjust the lighting for camera. Nothing worse than blown out faces. And also bring a film or TV audio person in to work with your audio department so that you get the best audio as possible. Sometimes double miking so that you have a safety. So those are the those are the little tidbits that I can give for anyone so that you can bring in a higher quality. Gregory asks, would it be appropriate to treat streaming revenue similar to DVD sales? During their peak, they were almost treated like a film's second life if it didn't do well in theaters. It's an expensive 
route, 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 route to take, I think. But Cody, what do you think? I think I think someday this will be a meaningful revenue source for shows. We're not there yet, but that's why we're on this call, try, trying to figure it out. I don't think it will ever be at, you know, if you're point at its height, DVDs could often outsell the theatrical window. I don't know that we'll ever get there, but, but who knows? Larry Daggett wants to make sure he heard you correctly. To film a show on Broadway costs about a million dollars. For off-Broadway, about 50000 But those are for commercial viewing. What about filming a show for the purpose of showing it to potential investors only, not for commercial use? Yeah, uh, those are kind of the entry prices. You, I bet Hamilton was millions of dollars. Right, I bet that was a multi-million dollar filming. But any, those are also to film it for archival use, to share with potential theaters or potential investors. That's addressed in all the agreements as well. It hasn't really kept up with the times. I, I believe the agreements will say somebody has to physically come to your office and watch it in front of you. You can't send them a link. You can't send them a DVD. I could be wrong, and they might have been updated. But I, I believe technically you have to have people watch it in front of you. Jeffrey Lyle Siegel suggests that people look into the. SAG after new media agreements for filming your shows. That's a good point. What we're talking about right now are existing live stage productions of filming those. If you have a show that you just want to do on a soundstage and still stage it as if it's a live musical, but just record it, that becomes so much easier. Because yeah, now you're just doing a, a SAG new media or ultra low budget agreement. You check a box, you fill out a form, you email it. And as long as you pay people, you're approved. Right. I, I, and I think that's also... You know, you could also do it renting non-union theater and, you know, as long as you don't have a inviting paid audience, you can treat it as under SAG-AFTRA. But, you know, once there's an invited paid audience, then it, unless you're going with non-union actors, then it would have to fall on both equity and SAG. But yeah, if you have something, get a warehouse and we got from the UK during the pandemic, wonderful productions done during quarantine where they went and rented a rehearsal room. Our, our, our title of show was done in a rehearsal room in the UK. And we have Brooklyn that was done in a warehouse. They went and rented a warehouse and brought in cameras, brought a great set designer. So there are ways around it. And you'll call, if you're curious, call a smart general manager who's done a couple of these they can pretty quickly give you a gut feeling for what these different versions would cost and what restrictions would or wouldn't fall under. And it's getting to the point now that I've, I think every GM agreement I've done since COVID started, GMs now have a fee specifically for this. Oh, you're going to capture and potentially stream? Like we have a, a set fee and we're going to handle all the agreements. We're going to we're going to work on the logistics side of that for you. Paul Smith, which types of events? are viewed more virtually rather than live. That would be an interesting question for you, Gio. Phrasing it a different way, what are the most popular things that, that you that you present on Broadway HD? Sure. Brand, brand, brand. High brand is, is, is what's popular. Les Mis, Phantom of the Opera, She Loves Me, Falsettos, all, all the big names, revivals, anything that people have seen either in their community theater or on tour in a regional production are the ones that are popular. But then also what tends to be popular too, are the, those little gems that, you know, no one's heard of, you know? So everyone, every, we, we got into a rhythm at Broadway HD where we try to release something once a week. And so people are watching what we release each week. Okay, so, so what's, but, what's the, but the brands do, do, you know, the brands bring a lot of viewership. The author issue is a great point. 
This is Jeffrey Lyle Siegel. I just ran into a wall trying to develop a project through streaming because of the opposition of the underlying rights holder. So yeah, we're just acknowledging that that can be an issue. Eric Rothman keeps telling us there are, th there are now 5 million 3D viewer VR viewers and growing fast, which is, which is uh, Eric, I, I think we all, we all acknowledge that this is going to be major and big eventually, but right now it's, it's not as, it's limited because of the costs for, to the, to the consumer of being able to participate in, three, in, in virtual reality. But how many of those 5 million, this is the question, how many of those 5 million enjoy theater and will sit through theater? So that is the question, because virtual reality is such a wide place. place. And the other trick with VR, which I, I do believe that like streaming and filming and all that theater VR, that, that nut will be uncracked. Mm -hmm is you have to also think you have to do two versions of it you have to do a vr version and you have to do a you know a version that you could stream or put in cinema because of the longevity and that's where it becomes costly because ideally it's two different types of captures even what was your question about come from away i don't have it in context i saw come from away you know filmed i was just wondering if there's any insight on that how that happened because it looked like it was filmed in an empty theater, but then some of them, the scenes were did have audience. So, do anyone know about that? Which, by the way, I thought was really great done. Do, do we know? I, I didn't work on it, but Cody. I mean, I assume it's just like when we do shows together. You generally film two live performances with a real paying audience all the way through, but then often you do pickups. And whether that's a few hours or an entire day schedule, so you can go in and get camera angles that you can't do when you have a paying audience there because you'd be blocking everyone view everyone's views. So I would imagine Come From Away probably filmed over the course of a few days, and one of those days was allowing them to get some of those like over-the-shoulder shots. I have a question about that. Does the director of a show set up the camera shots, or do you get a director of photography and specifically to help you with that? That's a great question, and it's actually something that's evolving. Because if you could see, like, Chris Ashley directed Come From Away and Diana. I, I, ideally, you have a TV director that comes in that knows how to film for TV and all the angles, and they work with the stage director to make sure they get the, the most important parts of the show. But ideally, you do bring in someone that has the experience of filming captures. That's starting to shift as more and more directors are getting involved in filming their stage productions. So it's, it's changing, but, but traditionally it's always been, unless you, unless you are like a Lonnie Price that films direct film stage and films, I mean, direct stage and directs um, TV film, they bring in a TV director or a capture director now because they're streaming. Cody, in your, in your budgets, does that include a, a director of photography or yeah, I mean, you kind of need that. There are two different mediums, two different skill sets, unless you happen to have someone who, you know, has a foot in both worlds. But it's a it's a fascinating process, at least for the shows I've worked on. They're more or less called live by the director. And it's interesting to see, you know, the TV director and our, our stage director in the control booth, you know, as they're kind of calling the show, two different skill sets. It, it really, I think, in an ideal world, you need both. You need someone who knows both of those worlds. Myra, Myra continues is, is asking again about live virtual form, but I'm, I'm not sure that we're, we're the people to, to answer that question about whether the, the theatrical production made only in a live virtual form is something that, I mean, obviously we all believe it's going to happen. 
I just, yeah, I'm, I'm a technology nerd. I've, I've done, you know, I've seen live shows wearing an Oculus and I, I want that to happen. But then the producer of me thinks, you know, well, if there's only 5 million headsets in America and let's say even half of them are interested in theater, I can't make money on a show that only has a potential market size of 2.5 million people. So I, I want someone else to figure it out and then I'll jump on the bandwagon once it's figured out. Ralph Lewis says that there's something called a vision mixer. I've heard that the person one needs is called a vision mixer. Does anybody know what, what a vision mixer? It sounds like an editor. Is that? Yeah, sounds like somebody, somebody that's blending the vision of the, of the TV, the TV photographer and director of photography and the stage director. There, there were probably, yeah, maybe a vision mixer would be an editor. But I'm not um, sure. I've, I haven't heard the terminology. Michael Grover asks a very simple question. Do any shows get done exclusively for, for streaming? And uh, the answer is yes. So does anybody know of any specific, specific examples of shows that were conceived of for streaming? Sure. I'm we, sure we you, did, you must we have them. Both. We did Closer Than Ever that was in the UK that we put up, that was put up just for streaming. We, we, you know, we got the cast together and we did two week rehearsal and, and then we filmed them. The, the, the bigger question is whether or not it's, it's financially feasible, whether, whether you make money off of it or not. Jeremy, what's your, what's your take on it? I don't have firsthand experience with it as far as, you know, the stuff I've been working on has typically been either theater productions that were stage production being developed that way or work for hire for non-theater events. So I don't really have the, the specific knowledge of one that was started from scratch as a theater-like production, but designed strictly for, for live stream. I've talked about it on some of the projects I was working on as a theater producer, but, but haven't actually jumped in yet. The answer to all of the questions is everything is possible. I mean, almost anything that you suggest is probably going to happen if it hasn't already. Jeffrey Lyle Siegel wants to know if he can have an unpaid studio audience under the SAG-AFTRA agreement. Can he have an audience that's not paying for the tickets to, to be part of the experience if you're filming something? I don't have an answer, but my gut tells me if these were more extra types and you're getting them through an audience service because you want clapping and you want responses, you'd probably be in the clear. If you're trying to fill 2,000 seats and they're getting a ticket through something like Ticketmaster, even if it's free, that they might try to shoot down. But I, I'm completely guessing on that. Will Netflix or say HBO become the disco of streaming for theatrical Catherine, why don't you ask this question? I'm not sure I understand it reading it. Oh, I was I was wondering if, say, any of the distribution companies like Netflix or HBO or whatever will, do you think they'll ever bully in and try to buy Broadway HD and become the distribution company when this gets really, really, even before it gets really, really big? Or are you praying for that? <laughs> well, I don't own Broadway HD, so well, you should. Or are you going to buy it? <laughs> but it's interesting. I think it's kind of evolving. Okay, well, let us all know because we would like to participate. <laughs> I think it's evolving, but I don't know. I, I just don't. Yes, I think that, that we're very niche. I think we're still at that niche level, so. It would have to be a huge benefit for the bigger streamers to have that filming theater leg part of their company. Right. Like when the documentary channels started. Correct. Correct. So, hey. Uh-huh. It'll happen. Come about. 
Let's go, everyone. Judy Bynes wants to know, Cody, how did Indecent do? So I think the question there really is, was the revenue from the live streaming of Indecent worth the investment that you made? And did it help ticket sales? That, or, or do you even know? Uh, no, I mean, it wasn't released until the show was closed on Broadway. So it, it certainly didn't affect ticket sales. I, you know, without giving away anything confidential, it, it didn't make a lot of money. It didn't lose a lot of money, but I think it added value to the property itself, to the show. Mm -hmm. um, I think, no. I think it, I think it helped the West End production that just happened. Yeah. Like, you know, so. Were your original investors in, in decent, were they participating in the live stream version of it? Yeah. So I, unlike most other shows, the cast album, the live stream, everything for me is part of the, we call it the mother company, the LLC of the original show. And part of that is because I think they all feed off each other. Part of it is that honestly, it's just easier. The, the thought of creating another entity and raising money again and hiring another team to, to do each of these projects is a headache I don't want. So I always put them all together as one. More questions about virtual reality. We're not going to have, have to take any more of those. Michael Grover wants to know, Gio, what is the shelf life you're seeing for your products? I, I, is there a shelf life? I mean, are you taking things off that, that just aren't? Well, the things are, most of the content on Broadway HD are licenses. So they're either three to five or seven year licenses. Obviously our original are around forever. So we are renewing most of our licenses. So there is shelf life. You have to think, you know, there's always new subscribers coming in and new subscribers are going to look at content that maybe an old subscriber has already seen a few times. Ralph is saying that in TV, the, what we were talking about before, the, the vision mixer, mixes the show by calling the cameras. But you were actually saying, Gio, that the director also is calling the cameras in the technical booth. And right. So there's a TV, there's a TV, a TV director that comes in that studies the script, looks at a, a single camera shot of the film that practices and calls all the shots. So they'll sit in a booth or in a truck, because we all know there's no room at a, th a Broadway theater. And they say camera one, go, camera two, go. They also have an assistant director that calls the minor shots. And the stage director is in the booth with them that usually gives notes in between, but they have a lot of prep time to work on shots. It would actually be fascinating, Gio, to see, you know, sometimes they show those clips of like the Oscars and them calling it live to actually have like a GoPro in the truck outside and show a clip of it being called like during the show. We actually have some clips from some of the shows. It is, I, I, I want to say, after seeing through many of these Broadway TV, is a real fascinating experience to see yeah. a TV director call a show. He is nonstop for two hours of the show. And if it's one act, it's an hour and a half. And he, it's constant, like, it, it's like a stage, it's like how a stage manager calls the show, triple speed. Yeah. Well, it's now, it's now 640, so I'm going to, I'm going to, end now but i want to actually thank the, my attendees my, the, the community for inc being incredibly engaged in this conversation more so than almost any other conversation we've had in the past two years amazing guys thank you for being part of this thank you for actively being part of it i'm going to thank jeremy handelman and Gio maselli and cody lassen for being with us today hopefully it was a useful conversation for people i'd I know that we don't, I, I, I warned you earlier that we may not have the answers. We just have answers because it's an evolving, this is an evolving situation. We're not there yet. We, I, I think it's pretty easy to predict that this is going to be 
very, very much a, a, an ongoing part of the Broadway and the commercial theater. Live streaming is going to stay with us. I don't think it's going to drop away anytime soon or anytime at all. So thank you for the thoughts that you brought to the, to the table today, guys. And thank you for your generous sharing of information. And thank you to viewers who have stumbled upon us. Here we are. We're here every week, five o'clock on Fridays. If you want to be in the room and ask the questions and be part of the conversation, you should email me at T-R-U-N-L-T-D at AOL.com. That's T-R-U-N-L-T-D at AOL.com. And we can put you on the list and we can invite you every week. Everybody knows, <laughs> you know this one already. I've, you, you've heard this one before. We do this for free. We do this as a, as a service. We also need money. So basically, my plea to everybody is do consider supporting us. You're absolutely welcome to be here for free. We do this as a community service, but we do have bills to pay. So whatever support you can offer us, go to truedonate.com, putting it in the chat. That's just a, a simple URL that redirects to our very complicated URL, but it'll get us get you to the donation page so you can help us and you can support us. And next week, come next week and join us. We're being very hip and very current. We're going to be talking about non-fungible tokens next week. We have somebody who's going to talk about NFT as being another alternate re revenue stream for commercial theater. There's a topic I know nothing about, but luckily the guy that's coming to speak about it knows a ton. So join us next week as well. Thank you very much for being with us. And thank you everybody in the room. So that's it. We need to talk about song. We need to talk about anything at all. Electric Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hey, guys. It's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.